0: Here with us this morning at the firehouse my name is greg i'm one of the pastors here i see a number of new faces uh i'm so glad you're with us this morning um it is palm sunday uh march right march yeah it is march it seems strange i always feel like easter should be in april but it's in march this time uh and today's the 20th palm sunday um and uh, first just a question for you who here was was with us and part of this church Six years ago today, that would have been in 2010. I see a handful. Yep, that's good. I see my my kids, my older sons here raising their hand. That's good. Over here, yeah. So on this day, six years ago, this guy was born. That's Max. For those of you who know Max, he was. Uh, yep, first day of spring, I think. But anyway. I just thought I would recognize Max, our six-year-old today, because it's his birthday. Uh, he's a real a real joy to us, hopefully a real joy to any of you who come in contact with him. But there he is. He's not little like this anymore. But I put him, put the baby picture up here because a lot of people have remarked, so you who know, we just had another baby uh, beginning of February. And people say that she most resembles Max. So maybe we'll have a female Max now. I don't know. Anyway, there's my little tidbit on life. Uh, We uh, are going through a a series here. This is going to be the last part of this series on parables. Uh, So I'm glad to just talk about one more today. We're going to be talking about the rich man. So it's a story about me. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Definitely not about me. Uh, I'll go ahead and pray and we'll start. Yeah, God, we, we come before you this morning on, uh, on Palm Sunday. God, we, we remember, God, as I, as I remember uh, six years ago today and that um, special time when my fourth son was born there. Um, God, we also remember how um, way back in um, about 33 AD or so on this Sunday, your son, Jesus Christ, got on a donkey and fulfilled prophecy and showed up in the exact place, and the exact time you had foretold that the king would ride through the gates of Jerusalem. God, it's such an amazing proof that you are God, that you sent your son to do that as we head into Easter week here, God. We are going to remember, spend this week remembering the great sacrifice you made for us, although you you rode through that gate triumphantly, and people were calling your name and shouting Hosanna and waving palm branches and throwing their their cloaks down, that one week later that same mob would put you to death. God, we know in our own hearts. God, I, so often as I think of that story think of myself and I say I probably would have been that same person. And as we've talked about parables here Lord, we remember that we are soil. And we have a choice of what our soil is and how we cultivate that soil and that there's times where we need to make choices to be good soil. And when we're not good soil, we can be like that mob that called for your execution. God, help us today to learn, Lord, you have great truth for us in Scripture. I can think of no better way to remember what Jesus Christ did for us than to look at his words. Look at your words, God, what they have to say to us. So help us today, Lord. Help each one of us to take something away from here, something we can learn, some way we can grow closer to you and cultivate our relationship with you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Alright, so just a little review, or for those of you who are new, uh, was this three-part series on parables. I think it's been pretty fun, it's been good for me. I was remarking uh, just earlier this morning that as I've gone through this and studied this to prepare and present to you, I feel like I have been definitely learning things, and so we might pick this series up again later. We're going to head into Easter and then into a new series on faith. For the next month, we're going to call it The Faith Factor. And if you're tired of listening to me, you're going to get a break. We're going to have a couple guys from, the, from your audience, this audience here, come and share in a couple of weeks and share their testimonies. And then Rich will be back here from our south location. He and I will be doing a little rotation. And Brad will be up. Tim is going to teach one week as well, too. So as we go into April and May, um, just looking forward to that series as well. But just a little review for you here. What are parables? I think we all sort of know intuitively, but as we looked at the past couple of weeks, uh, that comes from a root word. The first half of that root word is para, in the Greek, which means to come alongside or to compare. And the second half is the word balo, which I always feel like sounds like some kind of red wine or something, but it's parabalo. So it means to come alongside or compare and see. And so it's a story That's intended for us to come alongside and learn some truth. Something that tells a story and then there's something we can see. We've used this phrase as well. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so why did Jesus use these parables? You know, anyone can teach parables. I think Confucius probably used parables, right? Why did Jesus use parables? Well, he told us. Thankfully, he told us in the scripture. And he said, people believe. There's two kinds of people who who walk away from a parable? There's those who believe and those who don't. He said, "For those who believe, it's giving them truth in a memorable vehicle." And we've talked about that. How, in our Sunday school, we teach that to our kids. And I, thirty plus years ago, I was in Sunday school, and I still remember these parables from when I was a kid. And so it's this memorable, easy thing that any of us can grasp. You don't have to be a deep theologian to understand the truth that's in the parables, right? And Yet if you don't believe them, there's actually prophecy about that that said you'll be hearing but not understanding. Right? And I think there's no excuse for us to walk away except a hardness of heart. And so parables are always a story. And then within that story is another story. And I think within that story there's even deeper meaning and application. And so that's what we've been trying to get to as we've talked about these three parables. So today, again I said the parable of the rich man. It's found in Luke chapter 16. Starts in verse 19 and goes to verse 31. So if you have a Bible, feel free to pull that out. If you have it on your phone, uh, we'll trust that you're not uh, texting, checking Facebook, or looking at March Madness scores. That you're actually uh, following along in the Bible here. So, And I will have it on the screen if you don't have it. So we'll just go ahead and read it together. Starting there, Luke says, Jesus said there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried, and he went to the place of the dead. There, in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted. And Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here. And no one can cross over to us from there. Then the rich man said, please father Abraham at least send him to my father's home for I have five brothers and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, no father Abraham but if someone is sent to them from the dead then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, they won't listen to Moses and the prophets. They won't be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. So that's the story. So what is the story? Let's talk about the background. Let's talk about the pieces. Right? First, we've got the rich man. And there's really a contrast. right? This, this whole story is built upon this contrast between a rich man and a poor man named Lazarus. Right, And there's clues here. So you look at this, you go, well, he's a rich man, and Lazarus is a poor man. But as the story kind of develops, you see this isn't just like the guy who makes $30,000 and the guy who makes $60,000. Right? There Right? is a big difference between these two guys. So we look at the rich man, and it, it tells us about his food. It says he had a table. And the implication from this table is that a lot of people ate at this table. And so he was having very tasty, delicious food and feeding a lot of people. What was his shelter? It says he lived in luxury. He lived in luxury. I think immediately I say that word and we can all think of a luxurious house. It also talks about Lazarus sitting at his gate. Even today, a house with a gate is a luxurious house, right? It also talks about his clothing. It says he was clothed in purple. For those of you who don't know, most of us have heard this in the past that to have Clothes dyed in purple in the first century was a sign of wealth because it was very expensive. And from what I've read, it sounds like the way that dye was created was by crushing snails. So you had to like go find the snails and then you had to crush the snails and then you had to dye the... Sound very expensive. And it also talked about how he wore fine linen. And the implication there was he wore two things at once. He had an undergarment that was fine linen. So there was a, just an indication this guy was excessively wealthy. All of those things, his food, his shelters, clothing, it was all excessive. And so then we can con- contrast that with Lazarus. and We get some clues to the kind of poverty Lazarus was living in. The phrase there in the story says, At his gate, Lazarus lay. Oh, well, what's he doing there? Are you just like... How many of us go to a gate and just I just go lay down at the rich man's gate? Right? He was probably physically incapacitated in some way. He had some kind of disability where he couldn't work. He probably potentially had no home to live in, and so he just hung out there. As a result of doing that, it says he was covered with sores. Right? He probably had no way to receive any kind of medical attention. And furthermore, if you understand the Judaic law, the the law of the Jews at that time, that made him unclean. It was very unclean to have this sort of skin condition. And I don't know, we don't generally experience that in our culture. Uh, A number of years ago, I had the opportunity to go to India and uh, I was on a train in a train station on the platform. And I had my duffel bag, and I walked up to the train. I looked around and kind of set my bag down. And, and I reached down to get something out of my bag, and all of a sudden, this like hand sort of waved in my face. I was like, "What is that?" And I looked up, and I'll never forget. It was a man who was covered in leprosy. This exact thing, covered in sores. And it was like, "Whoa!" So we don't see that in our culture, and it was like. Your senses thats that's not clean. Like, that's not good. And that's where they were. And that they just sort of shunned people like that. And furthermore, it got worse, right? As if he wasn't unclean enough, it says, the dogs came and licked his sores. I don't know how many of you have a dog. I have a dog. She's a very sweet dog, Stella. Um, and I always say, like, if you ever go break into our house, you better watch out because she'll lick you she just loves to lick and it grosses me out <laughs> I did not grow up with a dog I do not, you know she's a sweet dog, whatever but I really don't like being licked by a dog What I really, really don't want to be licked on my face and if I have a cut or a sore, that's the last thing I want to have her do is, oh, hey Stella come lick my cut, no thank you right and so that in that time, in that day and time, the dog was unclean, and if the dog licked you, you were unclean, so he was unclean from his condition, and then he was doubly unclean from being licked by a dog. It's just gross. <laughs> and kind of sad. I think that's one thing that I remember is just uh, kind of being overwhelmed with compassion when I saw that leper in India. In pity. And so we see more here about Lazarus, more clues to his poverty. That It says he was longing for scraps. He was unable to work. He was unable to provide. He was unable to eat. I don't know. There was was no government providing assistance. There was no food stamps for Lazarus. He was on his own. I think he was a dumpster diver. Have any of you ever done dumpster diving? Some people have. I've done it looking for cardboard and art supplies. I've never done dumpster diving for food. But I know people who have. I have a friend in Fort Collins who lived that way for a while. And he said he loved the bagel shop. Because they would throw out the bagels in a plastic bag. And you could kind of get to them and they would usually be pretty clean. And I just, you know, I take trash out here in our dumpster. And I just, you know, I kind of pick up the lid to throw something in. I'm like, I don't really want to touch that. And it's food. And some of you have done that, I know. He had nothing. And it's even been, as I read about this and studied about this, there was even the suggestion that that longing for scraps, there was an implication that the, the rich man and his friends, they used sort of cloth napkins to wipe their fingers and wipe the grease and the food off of their hands. And most of us, if any of you use cloth napkins, then you go throw it in the washing machine and use it again. But they didn't do that. They were so wealthy, they would just throw out. They would treat a cloth napkin like a disposable napkin. And the implication is that Lazarus was looking for cloth napkins that he could lick to get sustenance. I mean, that's how low this guy was. You see the, the distinction Jesus is drawing here between the rich man and Lazarus? And then he takes us into this, the new setting, which is heaven and hell. He talks about a heavenly banquet. Lazarus goes and he's at a heavenly banquet with Abraham And the rich man goes and he's in torment. He's in anguish, in flames. Guys, hell is for real. Anyone who wants to tell you, "Ah, Jesus didn't really teach about hell, or hell's not a real place, or I don't know, it's just maybe you just kind of go for a little while. Look, it's real. Jesus told this story. And this is a point where I think it's good to point out that this story may actually not be a parable. If you go back to the beginning, it says, Jesus said, there was a certain rich man. He didn't say, suppose there was a certain rich man, or let me tell you a story about it. it. didn't say, Jesus told a story about the hypothetical rich man and a guy named Lazarus. If Jesus is God, and I believe that he was, he would know all things, and he would know that this possibly happened. And so he talks about heaven and hell in this story as very real places. So anyone who tries to tell you, ah, I didn't know heaven's that really real. You just say, well, Jesus told this story and it's very clear that's what he was talking about. Because if heaven and hell weren't really real places, what really was the point of the story? And so that's really our setting. That t- tells us, this is the story. You got the rich man, you got the poor man. They go to heaven, they go to hell, they kind of switch places maybe from what you'd think. And so, what is the meaning of this story? We kind of think about, ah, what are some points? What, what was Jesus sort of driving at? And there's, there's a couple kind of classical things that as we know the story, we read this story, we hear the story, that come to mind. The first one is the idea that life is short and we need to be wise in our spiritual choices. I think it kind of goes without saying one theme right here is that say you get to live 75 years. And if you had to choose between 75 years in comfort followed by eternity in torment or 75 years in poverty followed by eternity at a heavenly banquet, which one would you probably choose? I think almost all of us would choose 75 years in poverty followed by eternity with God. And see, we don't actually see from this story. It doesn't say, well, Lazarus did this, or he did that, or he thought this, or he believed this. It just says, Lazarus died and he went to heaven. And so we can infer from that that he was a godly person. And yet there's also an implication here that it's not that the rich man was just, he was doomed to hell because he was rich. There's an implication in this story that we choose where we're going to spend eternity We get to choose it. And one thing I think is very interesting about this story. Who has a name? The poor man, Lazarus. And the rich man doesn't have a name. And yet, in our culture even today, and I'm sure in that culture then, everyone would have known the rich man's name and no one would have known the poor man's name. And Jesus turns that on its head and he names the poor man and he doesn't name the rich man. Another key point we can take out of this. Is that many people will reject. The truth. About Jesus Christ. Abraham says this in the story. He says. If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets. They won't be persuaded. Even if someone rises from the dead. And we know as we head into the Easter week. That's what Jesus did. He rose from the dead, and yet many are not persuaded. Have you ever heard somebody say, "Yeah, God, Jesus, the Bible—that's fine, but if if He would do this, then I would believe Him. Whatever this is, right? If He would give me this evidence, I think of there was a famous atheist named Bertrand Russell, and he was asked, you know, if if you die and you're going to end up in front of God, what are you going to say to Him? And he said, I would tell him not enough evidence. You didn't give me enough evidence, God. And so many people will reject the truth about Jesus and yet everything we need to find and know God has been given to us. And I think of two things specifically that the Bible tells us. The first one is that we live in a world, in a universe that's been created. Romans 1.20 says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God has made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his internal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. And I think if you take off the, the worldview that the culture gives us and you literally... Honestly, look at the evidence. There's proof in the creation that God exists. And we could go into that, that would be probably a whole 8-week series we could do. We don't talk about that more today, but it's there. The second thing is the Bible. The word 2 Timothy 3:16 says all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. And that's very much the same thing Abraham is saying in this story. He says, you have the word. If you won't believe the Bible, you won't be persuaded by somebody who's risen from the dead. And so many people will just ultimately reject the truth about Jesus. So that's what I kind of think there's some meaning in this story, but... I also think there's a story within the story, and as we've seen that and the other parables we've gone through, there is sort of another level we can get to. I think there's a lot here, and I, I pulled out a couple of them. The first one is that money is a major problem for humanity. Does anybody agree with that? Yeah. Money calls to all of us. You know, I think if we were like, okay, we're going to make a line here and everyone sort of get in line who, who struggles with money, and struggles with loving money too much. And I would be like, let me get in the front of the line over here because that's my struggle too. You guys remember two weeks ago, we talked about the parable of the seeds and the sower. We talked about how there's four different soil types. You've got, you've got the hardened path. You've got the, weed, the soil that grows weeds. You've got the soil that's rocky that nothing can grow in. And you have the good soil. And I think when we come to the issue of money and wealth, it's like we're playing with a handful of weeds, seeds. And we're going to throw them in our good soil. Right, we really see that as important here at the Firehouse Church. That's why we have our Money Wise group. Is We realize it's, it's an issue. It's something that everybody in the world is struggling with. And yet God has given us tools to walk through that. And I think we have to realize particularly right here is the Firehouse Church on the corner of 33rd and Tejon and Highland. And one of the top ten fastest growing neighborhoods in the country. We have to walk in the midst of this. We have to walk in a culture that has really embraced money and the pursuit of wealth and the pursuit of stuff and possessions and finding meaning in it. And we need to be very careful that we don't err by getting swept up in what is around us. And yet, at the same time, we've got to recognize that Jesus didn't despise wealth, He didn't say everybody has to take a vow of poverty. Couple examples here in Luke nineteen we know the story of Zacchaeus. Right? Does anyone know that story from Sunday school? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Anyone remember that? I remember that. The story of the little guy who climbed up in the tree so you could see Jesus and Jesus takes him, you know, says I'm going to your house, I go to his house, have a banquet. He turns and follows Jesus, and yet Jesus commends him. He was, a, he was a wealthy man, and he turned from the pursuit of wealth and said, I have this, and I'm going to use it for your glory. Jesus commends him for that. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says this about money. He says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. And what is he talking about? Right there. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. He didn't say, man, you, you can't have money. He just said, you can't serve it. You can't serve money. Paul reiterates this in 1 Timothy 6. Verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. He didn't say money is the root of all kinds of evil. He says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so... At the same time as we walk through this neighborhood and we walk through this culture, we walk through this city and this, this affluence that surrounds us, we also can't judge. We can't pronounce judgment. God's called us to walk in the midst of it. We've got to trust him in that. And so I think we have to make sure that money and wealth and possessions and careers should not be the emphasis for our decision making. Not that we can't make decisions regarding it or what to do or what's my job or how I should be, but when it drives what we do, when it's the key thing that makes makes us make our decisions, we gotta be careful. It sounds like if that's what you're doing, you say, I'm gonna move here and do this and do that, because we gotta be really careful with that. I think of a young man I knew. A number of years ago, I say he was a young man because he was my age and I was a young man <laughs> man at the time. And um, he was a believer. He believed this. And I, I remember asking him, I said, what, what motivates you? You're kind of, you're like me, we're, we're starting out, we finished college, starting into our work. What, what drives you? And he said, I'll tell you what drives me. I was like, whoa, this guy knows what he's talking about. He knows what he wants. He said, I have at my desk, I have three pictures my desk and these are the three things that drive me and i was like father son and holy spirit what are they no right i didn't know and he said i have a picture of a rolex watch i have a picture of a ferrari and a picture of an armani suit and those are the three things that drive me it's like okay i'm not sure if he's walking with god today maybe he is maybe he's not Got to choose between money or the gospel. You can't serve both. And so, are you trusting God to provide instead of following money and going after possessions and going after career? God says we are to cultivate our relationships with Him. Each one of us, we go back to the idea of the soil. We have to cultivate that soil. Right? If we leave good soil and we don't cultivate it, it's going to turn into rocky soil and weedy soil and beaten up soil. And that's what Jesus, I think, is calling us here and he's warning us. He's warning us in this story, in this parable not to pursue money, not to pursue wealth. And man, that speaks to me and my heart and where I'm at. I think there's another central point here and that is, as Jesus tells this story, he's telling us that the gospel is justification by faith alone. And we've talked about that, and we're going to continue to talk about that. Wealth, pursuing wealth, makes me forget. It makes me forget that I'm saved by faith alone because I get my eyes off of Jesus. And I get it onto my stuff. So we look at the story, and there's another character here who we haven't talked about, and that's Abraham. How did Abraham get to heaven? He's there. It's not like he was just like, well, you're the main guy in the story from the Old Testament, so you get to go to heaven. No, how did Abraham end up in heaven? Was he like, did he fulfill the law? Did he do a lot of good works? I don't know. If we read about him in the Old Testament, in the first five books of the Old Testament, we kind of go, Abraham wasn't that good of a guy. Kind of made some lousy choices. So how did he get to heaven? Well, we're told in the New Testament. Actually, no, we're told in the Old Testament. We are told again in the New Testament, but it says it right there in Genesis 15, 6. And that's what I think is so cool. Because then Abraham turns around and says, Moses and the prophets told you. Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Not because of what he did. Not because he had a lot of money he made good choices, he believed, and it was counted to him because of his faith. So how did Abraham get to heaven? Not by righteous living, but by his faith. So why was the rich man not in heaven? And why was Lazarus in heaven? I think we can safely assume it's because the rich man did not have faith, and Lazarus did have faith. Well, how do we know that? Well, there's a point there where the, the rich man is going, Ah, uh, I want you to save my brothers from doing this. And he says, I want, you, I want you to send Lazarus to warn them so that they don't end up in this place of torment. And he says, I want them to repent of their sins. And turn to God. He doesn't say, Send Lazarus back so he can tell them that they, can, they need to do a bunch of good deeds so they can get to heaven and not be in hell where I was. We don't even know what the rich man's good deeds or lack of good deeds were. But we know that he had no faith, he didn't trust God alone by faith. And so that then begs the question how do I get to heaven? Well, it's exactly the same way. It's not by doing good deeds or by being rich. It's not how I get to heaven. I love this verse because it's oh so convicting. From Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. And this is God speaking. He says, my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. And I think when we come both to the issue of what am I doing with my resources and what am I doing with my faith, this is a picture of what we do. We stop relying on faith alone, in God's perfect plan, and we start relying on our own good works to get us to heaven, to get us into a right standing with God. We say, I don't need your fountain of living water, God. I'm going to build my own sort of vault here. And yet, we're not very good at building stuff, and it's cracked, and it doesn't hold anything that we want, and it slips through our fingers. You can see that parallel between money and faith. And so instead, we receive the free gift of salvation, regardless of what our status is on earth. And that verse, we can sum it up right here with the words of Jesus from John chapter 3. He says this For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that anyone who believes in him will not perish, will not go to that place of eternal flame where the rich man was, but have eternal life at that heavenly banquet. Where Lazarus was. God sent his son into the world. Not to judge the world. But to save the world through him. And that's really the encapsulation of the gospel. And I'm pretty excited. I hope you'll be back with us next week. As Brad mentioned. We're going to be talking about the good news of Easter. And we're going to just hit on that point. Salvation is a free gift. And I know a number of you, especially as you're new, and you come in and you're going, I I have a spiritual need and I'd like to know more about how do I have a right relationship with God or how can I know I'm going to heaven? Why? I'd obviously love to talk to you or Proud would love to talk to you or someone else who's sitting near you would love to talk to you about it. But also, you can come back next week and we're going to share that truth, that message, because that is the good news of Easter. And we'll share that next week. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word that it is true and that it holds truth and meaning that applies to our lives and that it directs us and guides us if we'll listen, if we'll cultivate good soil in our lives, if we will hear the word and put it into practice. God, help us to hear your words and this story of I think was probably a true situation there's no reason it shouldn't have been a true situation that actually happened Was to apply that to our lives God help each one of us to recognize that we need to choose between following the gospel or pursuing earthly riches and God it's my heart and my prayer in my own life that I would be following the gospel God I pray that every single person here in this room would choose to follow the gospel, follow the good news, follow you, put their faith in you alone and not in their good deeds, not in their ability to provide for themselves, but to put it in you. Yeah, God, we think about how you, you tell us that as people we look at and judge each other on our outside appearance but you look at the heart. God I pray you would look into our hearts and speak into our hearts and help correct us. Lord even as we walk down that road we need course corrections. we need to we got to weed our garden we got to pull the rocks out. we got to till the ground Lord help us to do that. Thank you for sending your son Jesus in a perfect way in a way that fulfilled prophecy, In a way that we could say, wow, Jesus was God and he walked on the earth and he experienced what I experienced. And yet he lived the perfect life and died in my place. Took the punishment for my sins. So that I could spend eternity in heaven with God. So that I could be at that heavenly banquet, regardless of the circumstances of my life. God, help us to choose 75 years, or however much time you have left for each one of us of following you, of walking after you. And help us, each one of us, to have power to choose that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for being with us this morning. I release you to just have a great, great Sunday, great weekend, uh, and look forward to being back next week on Easter. Have a great one.